Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. How does climate change impact our water supplies? And what should we do to ensure we all have access to clean water? UNICEF joins us from within the Global Climate Conference in Dubai, COP28. Social impact pioneers, Uwe Stekan, and Fari Tunuma, both are from UNICEF, which is the United Nations Children's Fund, the agency of the United Nations responsible for providing humanitarian and developmental aid to children worldwide. And they are joining me from within the climate conference to discuss why water will be a critical element of addressing climate change. So Fari and Yuva, welcome to our podcast conversation today. Um, You guys are joining us directly out of COP in the middle of the uh, actual venue. Tell us a bit about what brings you to COP28 this year. What brings you to Dubai? And and what are you feeling? How how are you finding it? Uh, uh, Fari, maybe, would you mind going first? Yes, uh, thank you so much. So it's been, for me, an amazing eight days in Dubai. I work on water and climate resilient wash. So it's been quite pivotal for us to be here. At the moment, we are the center of the global Golan adaptation discussions, as we would like to see water sanitation and hygiene included in the global goal. We have made a submission and have been working uh, throughout the year to make sure that we, we are here. We are quite excited also to see the loss and damage fund. I think it gave a lot of optimism for this particular COP. But we are sincerely hoping that water is maintained throughout and we don't lose it during the process of this COP and it comes out as we move towards finalizing the global colon adaptation. So I'm here, very excited to be engaging with the wash sector, but also outside the wash sector, working with our colleagues in partnerships, pivoting with business and other work streams to see how water can contribute for us to adapt as humanity. Thank you very much, Ferry, for, for introducing that. And we'll come back and we'll delve into why water is so important as part of that kind of climate adaptation resilience piece in a moment. Uva, can I bring you in next? In terms of the background that you have, your work at, at UNICEF, what brings you to COP28? Why, are we, why is UNICEF, a, a children's charity, at a climate conference? Yeah, no, thanks, Katie. Obviously, I mean, as the United Nations Children's Fund, I mean, we represent children, right? I mean, that's what we are here for. I mean, actually, it's youth day today at COP, and Ryan and myself are here at the UNICEF Pavilion. The first for us, we've uh, never had a dedicated pavilion at, uh, at a COP. We've been at many COPs before that maybe also excuse the background noise, but uh, it's very lively and uh, really engaged young people here. From UNICEF said, actually, we train young people to be youth negotiators here. We, we bring some of them here. But it's really, I mean, the one thing that's really standing out to me at this COP is the number of young people we have here. Look, I mean, my role is for private sector engagement. So engaging with business fights poverty is excellent in this context. 
there's a big discussion here, obviously, around the role of the private sector. I don't know whether you heard the numbers. Some people say there's more than 100,000 people at COP this year. That's more than double what we had at Sharm Sheikh last year. I think a large part of that is private sector. And obviously, it's quite clear that we need private sector to address climate change. I mean, that's climate change, water, and all related issues, obviously. That's not a question. I mean, that brings us here from the UNICEF private sector engagement side. Obviously, we want to bring private sector in meaningfully as advocates, as investors, as supporters of our objectives. I mean, the one thing that, that is quite clear here, obviously, big discussions about mitigation adaptation, but that everybody is understanding when these issues cannot be resolved on their own. Companies are really keen to engage, have discussions with their peers, but obviously also engage with public sector here and increasingly young people. So, I mean, that brings us here. We have to be here. I mean, that, this is where the discussions need to take place. Outcomes are not yet there. We'll get to that maybe a bit later. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a must. I mean, you can't ignore uh, these, these key global moments. And then, obviously, it's one thing being here, but also the most important thing is what happens afterwards. Mm, thank you. As you say, so important what happens afterwards. And Fari, for anybody who's not at COP in Dubai, what does it actually feel like? What does it look like? Uvi was just saying how many people were there, but actually, how does that how does that work in terms of, you know, a conference of parties, a UN conference of parties around climate change? Yes, so we are set up in a number of compartments, I must say. So we have, on the one hand, uh, teams that are working directly with the negotiations, and they are located uh, in one part of uh, this amazing venue that we have here in Dubai. That group is uh, led by the governments themselves and their different support teams. We find ourselves as UNICEF as an observer to that process, uh, trying to learn, of course, how it works, but also looking for opportunities to share our own insights from the field on how best we think all these important conversations should go. We also have uh, in the blue zone, the pavilions will find UNICEF's own pavilion. And we also have a number of pavilions for me. Uh, one of the big highlights from my side has been the water pavilion, where UNICEF, in partnership with 40 other organizations, is really focusing on conversations around water. But we have many, many pavilions. And then we also have the blue, the green zone, where we have a lot of the civil society organizations also congregated there and sharing as well their insights. As UNICEF, we struggle between the blue zone, the green zone, as well as the negotiating uh, arena so that we are able to understand the perspectives, but we are also able to feed in our experiences from the field into the different conversations going on. So it's been Many, many speaking opportunities for our head of delegation, the deputy executive director, as well as people like myself in many, many pavilions on conversations centered from children, financing, our work around the different thematics, water, education, health, social protection. A lot of information being shared here at COP. And we hope, uh, like Uwe said earlier, that all this information translates to making the lives of children better on the ground. And it really is that ability to share that information across sectors, spectrums, locations, because everybody's in that same space. How perverse and weird it feels like bringing so many people together. Uwe, can I bring you in now? 
I mean, you you just talked about being other cops before and, and your kind of past experience. How does COP28 sort of shape or how is it shaping up? Are you hopeful? Are there kind of sticking points that you're seeing? Where do you sort of sit on that spectrum? Yeah, thanks for the question. I mean, comparing it to other COPs, I mean, it's just the scale. I mean, the growth of, uh, of participants here, I mean, you could see it as scary, but on the other hand, I think you could also see it as encouraging, right? I mean, there's a real attention to, to climate change that, uh, that is, that is great. What comes out of it, obviously, still to be seen. We had rest day yesterday. So in quotes, maybe rest day was no rest, but I mean, halfway point in some ways. So there's still a few days to go. I mean, for UNICEF, the key thing here is, and for I alluded a bit to this is, I mean, that the issues of children have so far been ignored. I mean, there's nothing in the outcome documents. It's explicit on children. And that's obviously our key key objective here to uh, to have that reference explicit there. Right? I mean, from my perspective, what is different in this COP, there is a, a big focus, for example, on, on resilient communities, which is great. So taking a bit from the global level to a more local level. But resilient communities to me is still too abstract, right? I mean, communities means people, right? I mean, let's be explicit about it. It's you, it's me, it's children. Um, and increasingly, I think we see demand to understand what does it mean climate change at local level uh, from UNICEF's uh, a round table with, with many of our private sector partners trying to remember when it was like seven days ago I think whatever last weekend actually and we felt we need to make the economic case I mean why does it make sense as Raya said to invest in social sectors health education water which is core to what we do in all our operations but private sector partners actually said I mean for them they they, they know there's positive ROI the specific topic was about energy transition. I mean, it's so important to have energy in those sectors. But what they told us, what was missing is the human factor. They want to hear what is actually happening at local level to be explicit about those needs. I think that's a bit of a shift. I mean, you haven't heard that explicit asked in the past about what does it look like in reality when we translate kind of what, what we talk about. Mitigation, obviously, is a, is, is a must. Increasing focus on adaptation this year. But what does it actually mean to, to have climate change adaptation at, at the local level? And I mean, water, I mean, as, as one of the topics we want to touch upon today, we just came out of a good discussion again, public private sector there. And the key thing there is, I mean, people now want to understand what does, does it mean? And what stood out to me was a bit that they talk, uh, talk about, I mean, climate change is felt through water, right? I mean, and it can be either too little. I mean, we're in Dubai right now. I think that's very well understood. It can be too much. We had the major floods in Pakistan last year or it can be just too polluted, right? I mean, so there are issues in every region of the world relating to, to water, whether it's high income, low income, water scarcity, water vulnerability. I think that's a bit, making a bit more real when we talk about climate. It is reflected through water, it is reflected the climate impacts on health. It is reflected on climate related to education, children missing school because of even then again, water related issues, flooding and other things. So just, I think the focus is becoming a bit more what does this actually mean in reality and what can be done about it? Thank you very much. And, and I'd be rude not to bring Farry in at this point. Farry, I mean, you are, you know, global senior advisor on water and climate resilience wash across kind of UNICEF. Why water for you? And, and what are you really asking for? What's the kind of call to action here? Yes, water is really the center of our own existence. Uh, this very morning, I had to have a glass of water, I had to shower, I had to to eat something that is uh, made using water. So water is front and central, quite key for our very existence. And with climate change, humanity does have to adapt. And water is quite at the center of it. We see 
the intersections of climate change through droughts, through floods, in heat waves, and they all converge around whether we have water. Is it enough? Is it clean? Is it available when we need it? So water is really one of the key issues, particularly when we talk about adaptation. Similarly, when we have just learned now that sanitation emissions actually provide more emissions than the aviation industry. So now we also have sanitation being one of the key things we need to reflect on, not only from a health benefits perspective, but also from that perspective of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So water becomes front and central. Water security is important for us because with water security, we going far with every drop and we can be ensuring that we have the adaptation that we need. Just reflecting on the numbers, we've recently done a report, the climate change child, and we found one in three children or over 700 million children worldwide are already living with water scarcity as part of their daily reality. So this impact of climate change is here. We are already feeling it now, and we need action. If you look globally, we are already struggling with just closing the gap around water, sanitation, and hygiene, over 2.2 billion people. If you could sell 2.2 billion popsicles, this would be an amazing business venture. So we do need business and, and others to really come together and say, how do we respond to this challenge, which is not short of a market, particularly in this context of, of climate change and the realities that children face right across the world. That's some huge stats that you just talked about that, Fari. For anybody listening, I'll make sure I put the links into the words that sit alongside this conversation so that you guys can um, go and pick that up. So whether it's the climate change child piece, uh, but also, Fari, some of your other pieces around the fact that sanitation is creating more emissions than aviation. I mean, that's just huge. Uh, So, you know, all hands to the pump here. And and that sort of really takes me to my next question. You guys are serious social impact pioneers. But we're really keen to kind of create action points, thinking about people who might be sitting in with, within companies or indeed other organizations. How should they take action on the calls you know, that you're sort of making and, and the work and the insights that, that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, specifically when it comes to business, Kate, I'm happy to talk a bit about this. But I mean, I, I alluded to that, that we convene business partners in the earlier days of COP here, but specifically to water. I mean, the point for us is, and Farai alluded to that, that a bit, right? I mean, this is not about charity in a way. This is about business opportunities and also water becoming or is already being business critical to them. I mean, this affects bottlers, uh, right? I mean, uh, business are major water users, but they can also ma- majorly contribute positively to, to water access, water security for all. I mean, if you look at the World Economic Forum's Global Risk Report that is launched every year before the annual meeting, I mean, nature, climate-related risks have risen to the top over the last couple of years, really surpassing any of the other risks. I mean, so one of the top five global risks uh, by by impact for a decade right now. And the impacts, the effects of water scarcity and vulnerability on businesses, people, and the planet are completely interlinked, right? So it affects their operations. If If you're a multinational company with global supply chains, I mean, you're directly impacted by water availability. 
So really, it can, can raise the cost of raw materials, can disrupt the supply chains with the health and safety of employees and their families, at least and their children at risk. And I mean, it really has significant economic impacts. I mean, as, as Brian has also said, I mean, if you look at other statistics, the World Bank estimates that the water crisis could slow GDP by 6% in some countries by 2050, right? So businesses that, that take action against water and climate risks can really bring significant commercial and competitive advantages to the business sector. And so it is really affecting the bottom line. It is material. So it's stop talking about chari charity with regards to water, but this really being a business aspect. Mm -hmm. And business can play a significant positive role in this. I mean, in helping to secure water security, that's a big topic for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, adopting water efficient technologies and practices, implementing wastewater. I mean, to this point of, I mean, how much this contributes to, to greenhouse gas emissions, wastewater managing, engaging their stakeholders, but even extending water access to the communities they operate mm -hmm. in, right? I mean, so when they have uh, supply chain partners in the global south, in a way, in the countries where we operate from UNICEF perspective, there's a major opportunity to extend access there. I mean, our core obviously is as much as we are as to be in the mitigation goals for net zero, we actually have also asked the business community to, to achieve net positive water impact mm -hmm. uh, by 2030 and by basically being best in class in water efficiency, reuse, recycling, wastewater treatment. Uh, supporting projects that address uh, shared water challenges, stakeholder priorities, and also then this collective action, as I said at the mm -hmm. beginning, right? I mean, this is increasingly understanding they are just one small player that facing a significant, huge challenge that they can only address by working with, with, with peers, with competitors, and with the public sector on this. So that's key. Maybe a last point, I mean, coming back to COP where we are right now, I mean, right before COP, we launched a global call to action in collaboration with WaterAid, with the CDP, that was highlighting the ways in which businesses and governments, so it's this public-private uh, area, can work together to invest in sustainable, safe drinking water and sanitation services. But for us, that's an essential first line of defense against climate change, and it's called Liquid Assets at Risk, a global call to action for addressing climate change's impact on our water resources. Have a look at that. So maybe, Katie, you include this as well in your report. There's a lot coming out of front. Oh, my goodness, I really will. And um... And I think also, I don't know about you guys, but certainly in the last few years of COPs, the intersection of climate and the impact on other issues is becoming more real. Um, I just wanted to bring you back in here, Faria, because clearly, I mean, if, if you've got other pieces to build on in terms of business or other decision makers and how they can take action. But I was also wondering whether I could flip it on its head. How is COP28 in particular, but other kind of COPs, driving your work does it does it turn it on its head do you go to cop and come away thinking oh my goodness we need to you know we forge new relationships we need to think about things in a different way does it open doors for you too and, and change your thinking it certainly does so we have uh, as a sector started to think creatively about collaborating more and what we collaborate on just to give you a sneak peek, this week as a sector, we managed to meet on two very important discussions. One was around how we can work together to influence how the Green Climate Fund looks at the wash sector, particularly through what they call their water sector guidelines. And what this would mean is it allows us to work in that space where we've got medium to small infrastructure, which is what we often see when you are talking about water sanitation and hygiene services. The second discussion we've had 
really building upon the momentum that we've seen on the global goal on adaptation has been around harmonization of the definition of what climate resilient wash services are. And that is critically important for us because with all this traction as a sector, we still need to deliver quality climate resilient wash solutions so that we are giving uh, what we would have committed to, to financiers and funders that come through. So in some way, uh, the whole COP process is driving how we work. We have also seen as a UNICEF network how there is need for us to partner with others. And we see a lot of that across our work with sanitation water for all, as well as how we make the links between the in-country discussions, UNICEF programming around climate resilient wash and how we aggregate that to voices that then come through with the youth, with private sector, with governments as part of the discussion into the community of party. So our challenge around water security for all, which would have been our business as UNICEF and still remains our business, has now become something much bigger with much more global influence, but also a, a strong inclination to partnership because this is something that UNICEF alone cannot do. Oh, that makes me feel hopeful because I'm always concerned we all kind of go to these sorts of things or, or if you can actually manage to get there. And it's always, you know, everybody's showing off what they're doing and actually doesn't listen to other people. So it makes me really hopeful. Uva, can I bring you in at this point? Feel free, you know, if it's changing how you're thinking or what you're going to do, but also what's sort of next for the work that you're doing? Maybe just to put it into perspective, I don't know whether we've been explicit enough from, from the start, right? I mean, the, the scale of the issue, right? I mean, we for I refer to the climate change child, which is basically an addendum to a report we did, I think, at uh, first the COP26 in Glasgow, the Children's Climate Risk Index, really assessing what climate change means for children. But I found it really telling. I mean, this year, the update is explicit also that a billion children are ex at extremely high risk of the impacts of climate change. I mean, that's half of all children. Pretty much 99% of children, that's everybody. I mean, we have 2.2 billion children worldwide is in some way going to be affected by climate change. I mean, so that's kind of driving what we have to do. And for us in UNICEF, obviously, it's across all sectors, water being a critical one, but health, education, and others. But I mean, going forward, right? I mean, so coming back to water, I mean, Farai alluded to this, water security for all is, I don't know how we want to call it, initiative or like something that's very well developed, really spells out the countries that have specific needs, where there are areas for privates to engage, which is where I'm sitting in UNICEF, obviously. And I think it was clear how important private sector businesses are in this context, foundations, philanthropy as well. I mean, if we go forward with water security for all, that would reach 450 million children, so almost half of that billion. If you take the families into consideration, we're talking 1.4 billion people worldwide in these highly water vulnerable areas. So that's like major scale. I mean, that uh, that's one thing coming out of COP. And I mean, for us also, I mean, this is one, this is COP. It's happening every year. I think there's a bit of a sense right now where next year's COP will be. But what's already clear, COP, COP 30 will be in Brazil. And for us, that will be a big moment to make uh, the children's COP. So that's one thing to work towards. Two years, not a lot of time. But there are other moments coming in between. We can't lose this momentum, right? I mean, so fingers crossed again for like a meaningful outcome of COP. But the one thing that is quite clear, there is a lot of momentum here. Just thinking back to the 100,000 people being here, I think it's quite a 
the somber mood. Uh, there's a lot of urgency, I sense here. But I mean, it's clear. I mean, we need the private sector to support us in this. I and mean, we are just as much unable to address the issues at the scale that's needed as everybody else. I think this, the sense of collective action that's needed is, is very strong here. Uh, to have clear solutions, we need financing, we need funding, we need also expertise, and we also need advocacy. I mean, basically, uh, partners to rally around issues like water, like the climate health nexus, like the impacts on education and young people really rally around this, put a spotlight on this to, to join their forces in this. And obviously, we need innovations. I mean, the water sector is, I think, really a key, key area for innovation. We brought not only young people here as negotiators, we brought uh, youth innovators to COP here from our Office of Innovation that have new solutions, tech solutions uh, in the water space. We need innovations for groundwater exploration, better waste management. As Farai said, just the, the GHG emissions there are so huge. We need solutions to shape sanitation markets. We really need to have uh, sustainability in these areas. Even if you put a solution in place, I mean, years ago for the sanitation sector, we developed like a five or seven dollar toilet. But it's not only having the toilet solution, it is really how do you deliver it locally? And how do you maintain it? I mean, whatever, we had a big discussion before this where people said, oh, I'm a bit scared to talk about sanitation. But our Assistant Secretary General, Kitty van der Heijden, talked openly about the need for, for sludge management, secret sludge management, all of the stuff. People are like raising their hands. But I mean, there's business in this, right? I mean, so the maintenance of sanitation is critical. If we put solutions into place and they are not maintained, they will fall in disrepair very quickly. It's also data, AI comes into play. I mean, just prediction of issues, improving supply chains, coming back to companies really having an interest in obviously having strong supply chains coming out of COVID. There are areas to work with us. I mean, whatever companies are doing to have better predictability in these areas with AI. And then really this, this, the scale of the solutions. We started COP talking about energy transition, which is a big topic here. And I think I alluded to this. I mean, we need sustainable energy, reliable energy in all sectors. If you go to other water areas like water pumps, obviously we rely on power for those. Solarization is one thing, but I mean, reliable, sustainable energy is critical in these areas. And that goes beyond business as usual, right? I mean, we need this collaboration between partners from different sectors. It's not only the, the, the water companies. It applies to everybody who has business. Every business has a need for water. And we need to have their ideas. We need to have their thoughts to partner with us. And really, it's an invitation to work with us and those other partners in this area of water security for all. There was the water action agenda coming out of the uh, UN Water Conference earlier this year. By the way, it was the first water conference, I think, in 50 years. Unbelievable. But it created this momentum leading to COP. And I think we need to keep this momentum going to the next COP, to the next General Assembly, to the big other moments that we have throughout the year to tackle these global challenges. So really it's an invitation to, to work together. And we also really realize that we, we can't address this, this on our own, even as a big UN organization. I think we are now at $9 billion a year, 20,000 people, but that's still a drop, I mean, a drop in the bucket to, to be kind of alluded to the water. Yeah, absolutely. Ova, thank you so much. I mean, God, if you anybody listening doesn't get the sense of urgency and proactive approaches that Uva has just displayed. I, I quite frankly don't know what would motivate you to take action. And it's quite interesting, Eva, as I was listening to you talking, if I was feeling like, oh God, carbon, I'm not quite sure what I could do on carbon, you know, other than trying my hardest to reduce my energy consumption. I feel quite stranded about actually my contribution. But actually, when you're starting to unpick the water challenge, which is so hand in glove and affects 
you know, it's a knock on effect from climate change and also exacerbates it. Then suddenly you open up this suite of ways that everybody everywhere through their work, through their personal lives, etc., can take proactive action on this and really feel the difference. You know, you can touch and feel water at, when it's there or not there, whereas, you know, carbon, you can't really. Um, Farry, I wanted to bring you in at this point. I mean, what's next for you? How are you feeling off the back of, you know, week one, halfway through COP28 and what you'll be taking forward, really? Yes, so uh, we still have some days to go. Water day is on the 10th. So really looking forward to seeing water remaining quite top of the agenda here at COP. And I think the the work continues. Uh, We've been uh, working very hard to really bring what I would call an airy-fairy discussion. You've said we can't touch carbon into a real conversation about real people. So really trying to put at the center stage the poorest, the most vulnerable, the most marginalized as we talk about climate change issues here. We've been having a lot of reflections around how to build capacity within the sector. We've often struggled with, with just capacity to work on water, sanitation and hygiene. And as we add climate risks and hazards to the conversation, we now need to co-opt even other capacities that would have often not set in our sector. So still a lot of work to be done around building the capacities, the skills, the education, the transformative behaviors that we need to see for a sustainable planet and really making sure this expertise is there when it is needed. We are working again on strengthening systems for governance so that the governments have the the regulations, the enabling environment that allows them to rise up to the climate challenge and for us to really remain consistent to a lot of these commitments to leave no one behind as we work on, on climate. And then lastly, you can see SDG 30, 2030 seems elusive in terms of the targets, and climate change makes this an even bigger challenge. So it's all hands on deck, really trying to scale very quickly, working together with financiers, working on solutions that are going to last, that are sustainable, even in the face of climate hazards that we face. And of course, all this cannot be achieved without the right data systems and the data quality that we need for us to understand the forecast and the challenge before us. So a lot of work still to be done, but I remain hugely optimistic that we can do this and we just need to move with the urgency and we need to move today. Oh, Faria, thank you so much for sharing that uh, with us. Now, I could listen to you guys and the passion and the energy that you both bring to this this topic and and the wider uh, process as well uh, all day. But I'm very sad we've got to we've got to wrap up our conversation now so that you guys can can get on with the work that you're that you're doing. But Uva Faria, thank you so much for sharing this. And if it's okay with you, we would love to sort of follow up and see how you found the rest of the sessions as well and and where the work you're doing is is going to take you. So for now, Uva Faria, thank you very much, and uh, hopefully we'll follow up too. Thanks, Katie. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. 
Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.